Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So last week, we started a new series called Love Is, and uh, if you missed it, I would encourage you, go back and check that out and, um, and get caught up. Uh, Pastor Steve, our executive pastor, he spoke last week, and, um, and he did a great job. If you missed it, you need to go back and listen. He really did do a good job, and I'm so appreciative of the fact that I, when I'm away, we don't miss a beat. And, um, and in fact, I've had people say, why don't you be away more often? And I was like, what? Wait a second. What are you trying to say? So, uh, good thing I'm not. I don't deal with insecurity. So it's it's good. But uh, I'm grateful for the team we've got that God has assembled here, and God's doing some good things. But um, we started this series last week, and and really the idea is that um, the media has lied to us. They've said that love is one way, and really the Bible says love is another. Um, because I'll be honest with you, I love my wife, we've got a great marriage, we've been married 17 years, but um, never once in our marriage have I ever found myself running to her in a field in slow motion. Like, you know, and movies tell us that's what you do when you're in love, and I've never experienced that with her. So I don't know if our marriage is messed up or what, but I've never done that. And, and music isn't any better. I know last week Pastor Steve talked about some of the music and he talked about Bruno Mars and I was a little surprised that Steve knew who Bruno Mars was. He's, he's cool, right? Um, but he even sang. Did, did you hear him sing last week? Wow, it's big time. Um, so I'm gonna ask him to come back and sing another song. No. But I like, um, I like love songs, but I like... I really like old R&B. Um, you know, sometimes when we go on a road trip, I annoy my wife and I annoy my girls by singing like 80s love songs, like Foreigner or, you know, some of those. You know what I'm talking about. And I'll sing those to my wife. And that, those aren't the ones I love, though. I love old school R&B. Does anybody remember Al Green? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vance just got excited. He's like, yes, Lord, Al Green. We played Al Green in our wedding. Like, I love Al Green. Um, Marvin Gaye, I mean, come on, Marvin Gaye, right? Um, and you just know when you hear that music start. Bow, 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 bow. I've been really trying, baby. Right? You know. The mood changes. How you doing, right? You just know, right? It's okay, I'm married. I'm married, so it's okay for me and my wife. It's all right, okay? Um, but my favorite is, is Barry White. You know Barry White. And the guy doesn't even sing. He just talks in his songs. But Barry White's songs, they're not even accurate, right? If they were accurate, they would sound more like, hey, baby, you look so good in them sweatpants. I see you over there in that T-shirt with a food stain on it. <laughs> Are the kids asleep? Are you sure? <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest. Barry White lied to us. We've been lied to. That's not what love really is. Love is different than that, and that's okay. Um, but 
what we want to do is get to the bottom of love. What is love really about? What does the Bible say about it? And we're going to explore a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about what love really is and what it's not and what it does and what it doesn't do. Um, and, and really, it's, it should shift a paradigm for us because it is not what the world says it is. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When we see this, even if you're not a Christian, even if you, uh, have, maybe this might be your first time ever in a church, but you, there's an excellent chance you've heard this in, um, in a wedding or in a vow renewal or in an anniversary celebration or something because this is such an iconic passage of scripture. But when you look at it in context, it looks a little different because if you look at the preceding chapter and the chapter that falls right after it, so 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, um, uh, they talk about spiritual gifts. So if you want to find out more about that, we talked about this in the month of October. We talked about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and so what Paul was trying to do was talk about love in the context of the gifts of the Spirit in, in a in a, in a real way. He was trying to help them see that the gifts of the Spirit are important, but something supersedes the gifts of the Spirit, and that's unity and love of the brothers and sisters one for another, that we care for each other in a very real way. But if you zoom out just a little further and look at the context of the book, uh, the letter that was written to the Corinthian church, um, the Corinthian church was a mess, and we've talked about this a little before, but the Corinthian church was a mess. They were fighting, there was infighting and, and problems, and there was problems because of race, and there was problems because of uh, economic classes, and there were haves and the have-nots, and, and there were problems because of the way the gifts of the Spirit were being used in the body, and there were all kinds of issues, and so Paul's trying to cut through all of that to the church and help them see that there are some things that are more important than what you think are important. Let, let me cut through all the junk and get to the heart of the matter. And what he says is, at the end of the day, love is the most important thing. And so that's why he sandwiches this, this, this chapter on love, this thought on love, right in between this passage, these two passages on the gifts of the Spirit. He's just trying to help them see that these things are really important. So 1 Corinthians 13 is not written to dating couples. It's not written for lovers or for a married couple. It is written for people to apply in their everyday life. That every single day, this should be a filter by which we ask ourselves, am I loving this way? And not the people that I love the most. Yes, am I loving them that way? But am I loving the people in my office this way? Am I loving the people in your class this way? Am I loving whoever I walk into or meet, and my, am I loving them this way? That's what this is. It's a filter for that. In the Greek language, there are four words for love. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about one of them, um, but, but the four words for love are, are eros, storge, uh, phileo, and agape. The first is eros. Eros is a passionate love. And if, if I can make you a little uncomfortable, it's talking about a sexual love. 
So eros is where we get the word erotic. It's a, it's a sexual love. And again, we understand what that means. I don't need to go into a lot of depth and detail. So that is a very specific love. Um, the next is storge, and it's an affectionate love that's, um, that's usually um, for people that are family members. So uh, it's not uncommon for me to hug and kiss my daughter, Abby. I give her kisses all the time. I give her hugs all the time. Uh, and I do that, and she's my daughter, and it's not weird. It's not uncommon. Um, but I would not do that with everybody in this room. I love you, but I love you differently than I love my daughter. And so that causes me to respond differently. Does that make sense? Um, so you've got Eros, which is different than Storge, thankfully. Um, and then the next kind is uh, Phileo, which is what Pastor Steve talked about last week. It's a brotherly love. And brotherly love is the uh, person, have you ever met somebody and you just felt connected with them relationally? You just felt your heart's connected? Now, that's the Phileo, this brotherly love. And it does not mean you're going to go give them a big wet one, right? It just means, hey, you're my brother. I love you. I care for you. Does that make sense? So all of these three loves look different and they function differently. Now there's some overlap between them um, because there are people there are people in this church that they don't mind giving me a kiss on the cheek when they see me. I'm okay with that. I'm not uncomfortable with that. Um, now don't get any weird ideas, by the way, but I'm just saying, uh, there are people that'll hug me and they'll give me a, a holy kiss as you see in the New Testament, which is okay. I got no problem with that. But not everybody does that. So there are some, some lines that are drawn that... These look a certain way. But the thing that they all have in common is they all occur naturally. Um, nobody had to tell me when Abby was born, hey, uh, by the way, you're gonna, you're gonna need to love her. Like, wait, what? I have to love this child? Like, what? Like, nobody had to tell me that. Do you know why? Because the second I saw her, I mean, my heart opened up, right? I, I realized that I loved her in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Does that make sense? And those of you that are parents, you understand that. It's like, I didn't even know I could love. So when it came time, we started talking about having a second child. My wife said, do you want, what do you think? And I said, I don't know if I can love another child like I love Abby. And I was right, I don't. Emma, I just don't love as much as, I'm just kidding, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> we'll have to edit that out because if Emma ever runs onto it, she's going to be like, aha, I knew it, right? Well, what happens? Your heart opens up again and you go, I, I had no clue I could love like this. No one had to tell me to do that, right? It came naturally. Now, I know there are differences in the way you're raised might cause you to uh, love your children differently or the way you were loved, all those kind of things. I get it. But by and large, nobody had to tell me. Same thing with my wife. Nobody had to tell me, hey, uh, maybe you should have affection for your wife, right? Like, it's a natural thing. Um, eros love is a natural, it, it's natural, right? Those are things that we don't have to work on. They come naturally. But the fourth kind of love is agape love. And it's a different kind of love than the other three. And agape love is the love that we see demonstrated by God toward us. And agape love is a sacrificial love, and it's an act of the will. And it's different because um, it doesn't occur naturally. It's something we have to work on. See, agape love is the kind of love that we use. Um, we love people who maybe are our enemies with an agape love because it doesn't come naturally. It's not easy. When somebody's opposed to us or somebody's criticized us or somebody's betrayed us, that's agape love. 
And that's the same love that we were loved with. The Bible tells us that we were enemies to the cross. We were enemies of God before we were reconciled through the cross of Jesus. So he loved us sacrificially. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, right? So the love that we received, he expects us to disperse. And I'll be honest with you, it's easy to love my kids. It's easy. Most of the time, sometimes it's a little hard, but most times it's really easy. Do you know why? Because they love me. It's easy to love them. It's easy to love people who love you, isn't it? It's hard to love the people who are critical, though. But that's who we're called to love. And, and that's what this passage is really all about. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having this interaction with a, a lawyer. This lawyer approaches Jesus and he says, um, Master, how do I get to heaven, basically? And he says, um, well, what does the law say? What does it say in the Old Testament? And this guy says, well, it says, love the Lord God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's right. If you do that, you'll live. And then he asked this follow-up question because he's trying to get tricky. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And we went through this a while back, but and I'll give you the, the short version. Basically, this Jewish man was on a journey and he was robbed and beaten and battered and left for dead. He was left naked and battered and in a ditch. And a Jewish religious man came by and saw him, he avoided him, kept going. Another Jewish religious person came by, avoided him, didn't have anything to do with him. And then a Samaritan came by. And Samaritans and Jews were opposed ethnically because Jews looked at Samaritans as uh, impure, of an impure bloodline. So they avoided Samaritans like the plague. Um, and there was a, a bias against Samaritans. There were prejudice against Samaritans. And Samaritans were the same way toward Jews. Um, there were religious differences. So there were, were philosophical religious differences, ethnic differences. All these things separated these two men. But yet this man sees a Jewish man in a ditch and his heart says something needs to be done. So he goes to him. He takes him uh, to a place where he can be restored and nursed back to health. He pays the bill for him so that he can be he can be restored and so Jesus tells the story and he says who which of these three were his neighbor and what he was trying to say is this is what agape love looks like agape love is hard it's sacrificial it doesn't come naturally and it's not easy at all um Matthew 5 in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, hey, you've, you've heard that it was said that you should love your enemies, I mean, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Uh, and he said, but I, I want you to do something new. And he flips it and he says, I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And this was revolutionary. This was earth-shaking because these people are like, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. That doesn't even make sense because what Jesus was saying is here's what the law says, but here's what the culture of heaven says. Here's what, here's what the, the law says is the bottom line, but God wants something more. And it's not easy, right? Loving your neighbor, that piece of cake. I love you guys. Every weekend I say I love you, and I mean it. I love you. I love this church. But you know what? If, if you guys hated me, it would probably be a lot harder to love you, right? It comes naturally. But what Jesus is saying is, no, you need to love the people that hate you as well with an agape love. So let's walk through 1 Corinthians 13 together. This is what it says in verse 
4. So the second part of verse 4 says, says, love does not envy or boast. Do you know what I think about when I think of envy and boast? Social media. Has anybody else ever felt that way before? You feel like you look at social media and everybody's just putting the best of the best. You know, my life is the best. My wife is the best. My workout routine is the best. My, right? And I don't know where the age breakdown is. Like, but at some point, there's no reason an adult man should ever post a selfie. And, you know, like, I don't know, like, after 30, I'm not sure where it is. But at some point, I just go, yeah, there's no reason, right? Especially if you're facing a bathroom mirror with your shirt off. Like, come on now. I'm just getting in your business now. But this thing right here, it's not working, all right? Just don't do it. That's ridiculous. But we look at each other's social media and we go, oh, man, look at their house. Or look at their, look at their life. Man, they've got a great job. Look, look at vacation, their car. And what it does is it stirs up a dissatisfaction in us that causes envy. We go, man, maybe my life would be better if I had a house like that. Maybe my life would be better if I drove a car like that. And man, if I had a spouse that acted the way their spouse acts, man, the, the, they, they treat their spouse better than my spouse treats me. But this is the thing we have to understand. We want what we don't have, but we're not even being faithful to what we do have. So we say, why don't I have a job like that? And I think God's in heaven going, you're only giving 50% in the job you've got. Why would I bless you with a better job when you're not even giving your best in what you've got? Some of you go, man, I, 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 they don't deserve that house. I deserve a house like that. And God goes, no, you don't. You're not being faithful with what you've got. You've never opened your home for a small group before. You've never used your house for my glory. You don't even take care of your house. Mow your weeds once in a while. I wish I had, I wish I had, and God says, be faithful with what you've got. Every one of us have been given something, a marriage, a family, a home, a car, a job, the ability to work. And so what God is saying is, is I don't care what you have. What I care is what you do with what you have. Are you being faithful with what you have? That's what God wants from us. That battles envy in our life. The next part says, or boast. The next verse says it is not arrogant or rude, and it's interesting because boasting and arrogance, and when I first read this, I thought, why would that be separated? Because to me, they're kind of synonymous, but really they're not, because um, boasting is just arrogance out loud. Does that make sense? So a lot of us are arrogant, but we're just not dumb enough to say it. But then there's some that they're dumb enough to say it, right? Um, I said this in the, in the first service today, but I, sometimes I wonder if I should say some of the things I do because I know this is archived forever on the internet and it's live streamed and all that, but I'm so grateful. One of the best gifts I ever got in my marriage was the guy that dated my wife before me. <laughs> I'm so grateful because I've, I've told people this before. Um, I don't have to look like a 10 uh, if I'm being compared to a four, a six looks like a 10. You know what I mean? It's all, it's all subjective. And, um, and the, the guy that dated my wife before me, he loved to talk about 
his uh, prowess on the football field. And, you know, in public speaking, they say, know your audience. And he did not know his audience when he was talking to my father-in-law because my father-in-law could not have cared less about any of the things he did on the football field. And so he would talk about that stuff. And my father-in-law just, right? Like he didn't care. He was not impressed. and just kind of drove him crazy because he felt like he was just bragging. And so, again, I'm a six at best. Man, I look like a 10 compared to that guy. I'm grateful for it. Do you know why? Because he loved to brag. He loved to talk about how good he was. He loved to boast. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around people that boast. <laughs> Paul said, I'm going to boast in one thing. I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going I'm to brag about how much I need God, right? I can take that. But people that want to tell me how great they are and how popular they are, and I've got to carry a, a dustpan around with a broom to pick, sweep up all the names they're dropping. You know, like, oh gosh, like, I don't care who you know. I don't care, right? <sighs> Nobody wants that. And at the end of the day, that doesn't build the kingdom. It doesn't build relationship. Um, and it, but this is what we have to understand. When we, when we ourselves are boastful, and we might say, well, I'm not boastful, but when we embellish what we've done just a little bit, when we um, maybe lie just a little bit about our success, you know what we're doing? We're boasting. When we do that, when we have that heart, it's impossible for us to love people well. It's impossible for us to love people that agape love. Now, it says it is not arrogant. So it is not arrogant. We go, well, hey, I'm not boastful. I'm not arrogant. But this is the thing. A lot of us aren't boastful, but we have pride in our hearts. So we might not say that we're better than somebody else, but we definitely feel like we are superior than other people. And we do this in really subtle ways. It might be us sizing them up when we meet them based on what they drive or what they, the way they dress or um, maybe by their ethnicity, maybe by the way they talk, um, maybe because of what we know about their background because they come from a good family or maybe they come from a bad family, whatever it is, we size people up pretty quickly. And we don't even realize we're doing it. But this is what we have to understand. If I think I'm superior to someone else, I cannot love them the way that God loves us. I cannot love them effectively. Because what it is, is just condescending. It's, it's me helping you out because I'm better than you are. And we go, well, here, buddy, I'll help you. Here you go. But there's no mutual uh, love or respect. It is just, I'm going to give you a handout. Uh, this last week, I was with a whole bunch of pastors from all over the United States and very diverse churches, some huge, massive churches and, and churches our size. Um, and so all these different churches, uh, different ethnicities, groups, all kinds of things. There's this one pastor I, I, I spoke with and he told this story he was telling me about some of the challenges they were having in their church because of some of the, uh, just some of the, the things going on in the world with race. Just seems like there's a bigger gap in race today than ever before. And so he's telling this story about this group of people in his church that are frustrated about some of the things going on in the community and in the church, and they called this meeting. And the woman that kind of led the meeting was an African-American woman, very vocal lady, and he said she was kind of angry, and she started the meeting, and she said, I'm, I'm thankful for all the races that are represented in this room. We're all important to God, and we can all agree to that, right? Well, they're all important to God. And she said, um, for instance, I'm thankful for our Hispanic 
brothers and sisters, because without the Hispanics, who would put roofs on our houses? <laughs> and my friend said, silence in the room. And he said, immediately, you would have thought there'd be tension, right? But he said, immediately, everybody's guards were let down because it was like this understanding kind of swept through the room that, okay, we all have biases. We all have these thoughts that we have to overcome. And when we understand that, that's when we can submit it to Christ. That's when we can go, okay, God, my heart is wicked. My heart has biases. My heart has prejudices, and I need help with that. So, God, I'm going to submit it to you. A few weeks ago, back in our series Thriving in Babylon, we talked about um, how we serve others by humbling ourselves and honoring them. And that's what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves and honor the other person so that we can love them with an agape love. Um, we have to understand that at the end of the day, we all have biases. We all have issues that we're dealing with. Um, in the month, later this year in the fall, in September, October, November, we're gonna walk through the entire book of Ephesians. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think it's gonna be a, a really, really important series for our church. Um, but I was reading through it in the last couple of weeks. And in Ephesians 4, I wanna read you this passage of scripture. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. Um, he's never actually been there before. So one of his spiritual sons started the Ephesian church. So his spiritual son starts this church and there is just so much diversity in this church, racial, socioeconomic, um, even belief systems. Some of them are different. So they're, they're converging and there's, it's, it's, the ground is fertile for conflict. And so Paul's trying to help them avoid that. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's not talking about a call to ministry. What he's referencing is um, the same way that if I would adopt someone into my family, they would be called into my family. So what Paul is saying is we have been adopted into the family of God, into the body of Christ. And so we need to um, represent the family of Christ well. So just like if you adopted someone into your family, you would tell them, here's the expectations in our family. You, this is the way you act and this is what you don't do. And we wanna represent the family well. And so Paul is saying when we're, when we're adopted into the family of Christ, there's some things we need to do. There's some things we need to understand in order to represent Christ well. And he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, when I say the word of love anytime in this passage, it's talking about agape love. It's the same Greek word, agape love. It goes on in verse four to say this, listen to this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Listen, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you know what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church? He's saying, I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care if you're black or white or Indian or Hispanic, I don't care. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you have a great job or a bad job. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your history is. None of that stuff matters because in Christ, we are one. There's not a section in heaven for white people. 
There's not a section in heaven for rich people. There is one body in Christ that we are one in him. And what Paul is saying is, if you see people any way besides that, you are wrong. <laughs> we need to lay some of this down. Um, we're going off notes now. We're going off road, okay? Um, this is the thing that's so frustrating to me. If the body of Christ in the United States would read the word of God and live the word of God, it would begin uh, squashing the race issues we have in the United States. If we would begin to love people with a selfless, sacrificial love, it would end all of it. There wouldn't be any more issues. But we have issues, do you know why? Because it's hard. But Paul says, this is, this is God's desire. This is Christ's desire for us, is that we would look at each other as brothers and sisters, that we would love each other as one and understand, I'm not better than you. And we're in this together. That's his desire for us. That's what he wants for us, not just from us. In verse five, it says, it's not rude um, being rude is just forcing yourself on someone else, forcing your opinion, your ideas, your attitude on someone else. We've all done it before. It's selfish. I do it. I don't mean to. Sometimes the flesh kind of rises up in me and, oh, I'm working on it. I know nobody else has that issue, but I do sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Wouldn't that be great if we could really do that? But it doesn't come easy. It's hard. I mean, gosh. Nobody's had to teach their children how to be more selfish, have they? One of the first words your kids learn is mine. Mine, right? Some kids never grow out of it. We have to teach kids to be selfless and share. No, you share, right? Why? Because it comes naturally to be selfish. It comes naturally for us to be rude to other people, to put ourselves above them. And so it segues right into this next passage. It says, um, it does not insist on its own way. And every day, um, I pray with my girls. Help them make wise choices. Help them put others first. Help them have healthy relationships. And the reason we pray this is I feel like if they will get these three things down in their lives, they're gonna, they're gonna have a pretty successful life. So I pray others first every day with my girls. And what others first really is all about is this understanding that if I go first, there's opportunity for conflict. If you go first, there's opportunity for relationship. And this is, this is applied in every area of your life drive through Pittsburgh sometimes, and especially if you are going down toward, um, toward the airport and you have to get to go through the Fort Pitt Tunnel, and you know you got like 50 lanes of traffic merge into a lane of traffic. You've been there in that moment. Um, there's been a couple times your pastor has been flipped off or been told they were number one. Has he, have you ever experienced that before? Um, and usually it happens when you, you're looking straight forward and you don't give enough distance for someone to get in and they get mad and they honk and then they will tell you you're number one. Um, but you never make eye contact, you just keep looking forward as if, oh, there's traffic trying to merge, okay? I'm just telling you. Um, but do you know when it hasn't happened? 
I've never once had the experience where I waved someone into traffic and they got in before me and they blared their horn, laid on the horn and started telling me I was number one. That's never happened. Do you know why? Because when I go first, there's opportunity for conflict. When you go first, there's opportunity for relationship. Now apply this to every area of your life. Think about the areas of your life that you're in conflict with someone. And then ask yourself, is it because I put myself first? Maybe not. Maybe you're just dealing with a jerk. But I'm telling you this principle is true. If I go first, there's opportunity for conflict. If you go first, there's opportunity for relationship. That's what God's calling us to do, is to build relationships so that we can serve, so that we can engage, so ultimately we can influence. He goes on to say, it is not irritable or resentful. Do you know what love doesn't ever say? I'm sorry, I'm a jerk, I haven't had my coffee this morning. I can say that because I don't drink coffee. (laughs) Love doesn't say, I'm sorry, I'm a jerk, it's because I'm Irish. I'm sorry, I'm a jerk, it's because blah, 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 whatever, you fill in the blank, right? See, love isn't irritable. Love says, I I know how I'm feeling, but I'm gonna choose to love sacrificially in spite of what I feel. Agape love says, um, the guy in my office that comes and pushes my buttons uh, and irritates, I'm I'm not gonna let him manipulate my feelings. I'm gonna choose to love him in spite of how I feel. That's agape love. See, love isn't irritable. Love is isn't resentful. Um, see, resentful is an interesting one because most of us would say we don't hold a grudge. Oh, I don't hold a grudge. I don't hold a grudge. But the thing is, a lot of us keep score. We've got an imaginary ledger in our mind of who owes us and sometimes who maybe we've hurt. But really, we know. We've got a list of all the people who have hurt us in our life, all the people who have done us wrong. And we keep score. And then at the end of the day, we feel like they owe us. And um, man, I, I was really hurt by a situation before I came here to Indiana. And, uh, and honestly, it was, wasn't until about a year ago that I really let go of that hurt and that pain. Um, and it was stupid. I should have let it go a long time ago, but I was keeping score. That person owed me. They did me wrong. So in my mind, I felt like, hey, you know what? They're in my, they are in my debt. And what I've realized is I can never love someone sacrificially who owes me. Because the love that I've received doesn't look like that. See, every one of us, if you're a Christian, you've received the love of Christ, you've received, have been covered by the blood of Christ, and you're saved, you're a Christian. Um, what you've received is a love that says, you owe everything, but I'm wiping your debt away. You owe a debt you could never pay, but I'm gonna take care of it for you so that everything can be evened out. That's sacrificial love. That is, that is agape love. And if I've received the love of Christ that way, then who am I? to say, this person is beyond that kind of love. This person has hurt me too deeply to receive love like that because that's the exact person I need to love like that. That's the person who God has called me to love like that. So if I feel like somebody owes me, um, then I can never love them with an agape love. 
You go, Mel, it's hard. Absolutely it's hard. You know what? The person that hurt me, um, I, I wrote them a letter. And I just said, hey, just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for your family. I hope you're doing well. If there's ever anything you need from me, let me know. It was that simple. That person will never contact me. It's never gonna happen. I, I didn't write that letter for them. I wrote it for me. I needed to do it. It was a, a spiritual act of discipline in my life to, to seal that and to finish it. And there's still days that that stuff rises up in me. But I have to choose love. I have to choose forgiveness. That's, that's what that is talking about. Resentfulness is just keeping score, holding a grudge. This is what it says in the message version in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. This is what it says. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. So he's saying, get control of the words you say. And then he says, be gentle with one another, sensitive. Now listen to this. He says, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty good person, but I'll be honest with you. I can't say that I, I forgive as quickly and thoroughly as Christ or God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. I want to. God, I want to. Because you know what? In Christ Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've, um, what you've perpetrated, no matter what uh, criminal acts, no matter what you've done in secret, none of that matters. In Christ, you are forgiven. And, and, and Christ doesn't say, well, I'm gonna need to pro- forgive you provisionally, and then we'll see how this works out. Christ forgives. It's gone. But with us, we forgive and we go, well, I'm gonna forgive you, but I'm not gonna forget what you did. I'm not gonna forget how I was hurt. And my prayer as I read this passage was, God, help me not just to forgive, but God, help me to forgive in the exact same way that you forgave me. The same manner in which I received forgiveness, God, let me dispense that forgiveness. The same manner in which I received your love, your sacrificial agape love, God, let me love in the same way. Because if we wanna see our world changed, it's not gonna change just because we're nice. It's not gonna change just because we do an Easter outreach. It's gonna change when we love in the same way that we were loved. We forgive in the same way that we were forgiven. That that we forgive as quickly and thoroughly as God forgave us in Christ Jesus. Lewis Smedes is a theologian and author and he said this, he said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I love that quote. That's what God's calling us to. None of this stuff we talked about today is easy. It's hard. It's difficult. If it was easy, all of us would be doing it. But it's not easy. And I would go so far as to say it's impossible without God in us. The only way that we can love sacrificially and love people who hate us and love people who are our enemies, the only way we can do that is by the love of God inhabiting us and taking over and and loving for us. But that's what he's called us to do. Well, 
God doesn't call us to easy things. He calls us to hard things. And this is one of those things. He's inviting us to be a part of loving our world well. He's inviting us to, to forgive those who maybe don't, for, you know, don't deserve to be forgiven, just like we didn't deserve to be forgiven. But that's my prayer. God, help me to forgive as quickly and thoroughly as you did in Christ Jesus. Um, see, none of this stuff comes naturally at all. But this is what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to cast off the natural and take on this mantle of supernatural love so that we can love our world well. So it'll change your family, it'll change your work, it'll change our world. Let's pray together. God, I do love you so much. And God, I, corporately, in this place, Lord, personally, I repent, but God, corporately, I repent for us, for the times that we have been slow to forgive, for the times that we have held a grudge and that we have kept score, God. Lord, I, I repent corporately for the time that we have sized people up according to their race or according to their socioeconomic background, according to what they drive or what they wear or how they speak or communicate. So God, we repent for that right now. We humble ourselves before you. We're asking you to forgive us. Help us understand that in Christ, we are one. That there is no hierarchy in heaven. That we are one, just as the body is one. Lord, we are one in you. So God, forgive us. Change us. Change our minds. Change our, our, our vision for what the world should look like and what love should look like. God, change our values to align with your values. And God, more than anything else, God, help us love the way we were loved. So God, I pray for every person in this place, you just minister right now in our hearts. Change us. Transform us. Lord, help us not just to be a church, but Lord, let us truly be your church, your bride. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask you today, if you're here and you say, Mel, I can't love the way that you were talking about and describing today because I don't know that I've ever experienced the love that you were describing today. Maybe you're here and you, you just don't have the ability to love sacrificially because you've never really experienced the love of Christ. And today you're here and you know you need to make Jesus your number one, the Lord of your life. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here, you say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna experience the love that, that I can't receive or experience anywhere else. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Thanks, up in the balcony. Thanks down here on the floor. On my left, thanks. Another hand back here. Thanks over here. Thank you, ma'am. In the center section. Who else? Over here on my right, a couple of hands. Thank you, guys. Up in the balcony. I see you up there. Praise God. Thank you, up in the balcony, sir. I see you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. I see you up on my left. Praise God. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Say, that's me. Pray for me. Thanks. Up in the balcony on my right. I see you, ma'am. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I want every person in this place to repeat a really simple prayer after me. So say this prayer out loud whether you raised your hand or not. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me today. I love you, but I need your help to learn how to love like you love. So take my life and shape it, form it, and make me look like you. Help me love like you love. 
even people who hate me. Thank you for forgiving me and loving me when I didn't deserve it. Use my life for your glory. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life. Today I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, we wanna help you take the next step. And the way we do that is by you simply filling this card out. And there's a card in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says uh, need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. If you would take one minute, fill this card out for us, drop it in the offering box before you leave today. Let us know about your decision. We wanna help you take the next step. We wanna help you mature and grow in your faith so that you can become everything that God dreamed for you to become. If you'd rather not do that or you're a little uncomfortable, uh, maybe you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, I wanna encourage you, take a moment, uh, take your cell phone out and simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step. We're gonna resource you so that you can grow in your faith and become what God wants you to become. Uh, this is what's gonna happen now. My worship team's gonna lead us in a final song. And then in just a moment, Pastor Todd is gonna dismiss us. He'll close us out. Uh, and as we're singing, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, I want you to find somebody to pray with on our prayer team during this last song. Let us agree with you about whatever's happening in your life so that God can work and God can be glorified in your situation. So stand to your feet all over the room. I'm so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Thank you for being here. Guys, I missed telling you last week, but I love you more than you know. I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. Love you guys. God bless you. <laughs>